If you have a financial question for Peggy Bruce, you can call this number 24-7-888-6ADVICE. You can also email those questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. In the meantime, during the show, like right now, you can call or text our studio line 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Denny. Good morning, Bruce. Thank you, Denny Long. Uh, love for appreciate the introduction. Hello, Peg. Um, Peg and Denny, uh, as we Peg, as we go into today's topic, I, I have to admit it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around it because we're going to talk about the third quarter. And when if you just say third quarter to me, I think cool weather, sweater weather, fall weather. But we're actually already in the beginning of the third quarter. It's July. Third quarter is July, August, September, and the days are already getting shorter. Uh, we've already had our longest day of the year. And it just kind of freaks me out how, how fast time goes. But what we like to do this, Peg, we like to kind of look at the year and break it down into chunks and, and sometimes break it down quarter by quarter in terms of ideas or thoughts or things that people should be aware of in their personal financial process and their planning process. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the third quarter, what to expect, what to do, and hopefully give some people some insights and some good ideas, practical ideas that maybe they can use. Yeah, I I, uh, I just cannot even believe that it's the third quarter. And there there is some uh, saying out there that the older you get, the faster time seems to go, uh, because I feel like the youth of America uh, tends to not think that it's going quite as fast as you and I do, Bruce. But in the first half of this, yeah. <laughs> in the first half of this year, uh, it's kind of interesting. As I sit in at my desk every day, and and you know, you you, you kind of look back to say, well, how did you think that the first half of the year was going to go? Well, unexpectedly, the uh, the stock market's been very resilient. And bonds, uh, fixed income has actually kind of uh, given us a little positive returns this year and some attractive yields for sure, uh, if you have cash lying around. And so even as we talk day to day at Wealth Enhancer Group about inflation and still the possibility of recession down the road, um, we're, we're actually content with how the markets are doing now. And one of the reasons I bring that up is because as we talk about the third quarter and a couple highlights that we have listed on our agenda today, I think it's just good to have an open mind about what the markets have done so far. And when we talk about the income portion of uh, fixed income, like cash in the bank or um, bonds that you might own or Treasuries have been real popular as a bond option. Last year, the I-bonds were definitely on the stage because the inflation-protected treasuries, uh, they actually were uh, paying close to 9% or a little north of 9%, not anymore. Uh, so that, that uh, steam has kind of lowered as far as people wanting to go buy those. But then we also had a weakening dollar 
And the volatility will probably continue. So I'm talking now about the third quarter and probably the fourth. Volatility will continue, uh, we believe, for the rest of the year, um, just because there's still a lot going on. And so the point I want to make to start about this quarter is the same one that I've made the last two quarters, is you truly have to have a discipline to be able to be a good saver. And if you have confidence in, we'll talk about this today, but if you have confidence in your allocation, stocks versus bonds versus cash, and if you do have a financial plan, you know, I just feel like you just have to continue to stick with your plan, even though in good times and bad times, sometimes emotions get in the way. But Bruce, you just have to follow the original plan no matter what. Yeah, the, the last point you made there, Peg, and we'll probably repeat that several times today, um, because, you know, again, last year, and, and before, I guess, we dive into things to do in the third quarter, it's probably prudent to talk about where we've been last year and, and the first half of this year. And there was a lot of pessimism coming into this year, and I had nervous clients asking me about it, and, of course, the answer I always give is, in the short term, you can't predict really anything. You can say what you think might happen, but there's too many variables that can change the outcome and you really don't know. So I would tell clients, look, I don't know for sure what's going to happen this year, but if you stick to your plan, if you stick to your investment portfolio, if it made sense to you at the beginning of 2022, it doesn't not make sense just because 2022 was a bad year. If we're going to make changes, we're not going to make them because we think the market's going to be really good or really bad or it just was really bad. We're going to make changes because you've had changes to your life. Your, your circumstances have changed. Your desired rate of return has changed. Your risk tolerance has changed. You retired. You changed jobs. You, somebody got sick. Life-changing events make us look at the plan, but a particularly good or bad year in the market really doesn't. So, I tell people to think long-term, don't think short-term, but, but they're not happy with that answer. So I still try to answer the question of what I think will happen. And I wasn't as negative coming into 2023. 2022 was so bad that I told everyone, look, I think we're going to continue to have volatility, and I don't know for sure what's going to happen, but I don't think 23 is going to be as bad as 22. I'm, I'm pretty confident of that. And lo and behold, the first half of the year has actually been pretty good. Now, not so good that it was, that we made up all the losses that we had in 2022. If you go look from the beginning of 22 to the present, we're still net down, but we've gained back a lot of the badness of 2022, and I think a lot of the uh, the, the pessimism has subsided. But obviously, there's still concerns. You mentioned a couple of them: inflation and recession. And inflation is still here, but it's not quite as bad as it was a few weeks ago or a few months ago. It seems to be getting better. And that's been a global phenomenon. That's not something unique to America. We came out of a global pandemic, and everybody was hunkered down. And then as we came out of that, there's this tremendous demand. People wanted to travel again, get on airplanes again, buy things again. And there wasn't enough supply to meet the demand. And that was a worldwide thing. And that's really what drove inflation more than anything else. That's 
we're getting more accustomed. Now we're catching back up. That's getting better. But recession is always a tricky one, Peg, because you never know if you're in it until it's over. The technical definition is two successive quarters of negative GDP, and you don't know if you had two quarters so you can look back and measure the previous quarter. So it's possible that we've already been in a mild recession. But again, number one, whether we're in it or whether we're going to go in it, I don't think it's going to be deep or long term. Personally, I think it'll be a fairly shallow recession if there is one. But number two, recession doesn't necessarily mean the stock market goes down. There's been historically times where we've had a slowing economy, but the value of stocks continues to rise. Recession alone is not an indicator of what the stock market's going to do. So what does all this mushmash mean? It comes back to what you said. Have a plan. Stick to your long-term plan. Yes, it has to be. You have to have the ability to make changes and adaptations if you need to, but just stick to your plan. Don't let the short-term, good or bad, freak you out into making bad choices, emotional choices. So it, it always is going to keep coming back to that. And, and so I'm so glad you said it early in the show because if people remember nothing else about the show today, I hope they remember that. Peg. Yeah, and and speaking of um, the third quarter, let's just kind of start July. I know that everyone, especially us Minnesotans, truly like to enjoy summer because it is short, but yet um, we would like you to kind of glance at least at your account statements. And what do I mean by that? Bruce just went through uh, the markets are they're back, you know, not 100%. Fixed income is back, meaning you're not down as much as you used to be. So it is a time that you should look at rebalancing. I know most people kind of ignore that in volatile times, but yet if you just take one asset class and it's just too dominant in your portfolio because all of a sudden that particular asset class is up higher than another asset class. And in this case, a lot of times it's that the stock market is down and it may be a time that you're supposed to go buy a little bit more. Remember, buy things when they're on sale. Um, I, I can't say that often enough. But then people, um, including our clients, want to know if now's the right time. Should I be doing that? Well, I continue to utilize a strategy called dollar cost averaging because to me it's, an, it's a method to get clients to invest. So if I feel like you're 5% or more off on the stock side, the growth side of your portfolio, but yet now the news is saying, hey, the market's back and you're not going to be able to buy it as cheap as you could have last October, well, then let's just over a few months, maybe three months, maybe five months, dollar cost average in to get that extra 5% um, in the stock market. The second thing I'm talking to my clients about right now is inflation hedging assets. Now, one of the things that I still, Bruce, today have to encourage my clients to do is they still have money in the bank earning nothing. They're allowing these banks um, to just give you very, very little interest because you haven't taken the proactive action of going and moving that to either a savings account that's higher within the bank or buying one of their CDs, or buying a treasury bond. This past week, I could buy a 5.4% 
one-year treasury. And so Wealth Enhancer Group participates in both you know, money markets and treasury bonds. And so we're making sure that our clients' money is working for them. Um, investing in the stock market, I'm encouraging them if we, we need to the asset allocation. And when you think about inflation, I'm just going to give a stat here, Bruce. 95-year average, I know that's a long time, but just of the S&P 500 has averaged 12.3%. So still today, I tell my clients, one of the historical um, methods of investing that has proven to keep up or greater than inflation is that stock market. So I don't know about the future, but I'm just just, uh, giving you a statistic of the past. And then I'm getting a lot of questions, Bruce, too, now about gold. Because we're hearing about the, you know, the falling of the dollar, uh, the, the decreasing value of it. Does it make sense in a portfolio? Um, we use it in a portfolio called our alternative investments, but not to a great percentage. Um, I don't tell clients that they should not own gold because, you know, there's, there's a reason out there if you're if you're a pessimistic person and you think that the dollar is just going to fall to some crazy number and you want to have some gold coins or something like that um, in your um, drawer at home, then I don't discourage people from doing that. I want them to feel confident that they've got something uh, that if everything just um, just hit and it was just the worst time ever, I don't want to discourage people from um, just having a little bit of that. Bruce? But yeah, before we go to August, a couple quick comments, then a couple questions for you, Peg. So you mentioned interest rates, and I'm glad you did. And just so people know, in today's interest rate environment, if you're not getting at least 4% or more, maybe even 5 you mentioned, Peg, a one-year treasury for 54 you can have safe money without market risk, and you ought to be getting, I would say, at least 4%, if not closer to 5% right now. And if you're not, shop around a little bit. Find the highest interest rate you can. I'm not asking listeners to take more risk with their money. I'm asking you for your safe money, for your own good, to get the best interest rate that you can. And then, again, just really quickly mentioning stocks and historical performance, I think sometimes people lose sight of what we're actually investing in. We talk about the Dow and the S&P and the NASDAQ and how many points it's up and how many points it's down. But what we're really buying is ownership shares part of companies. And if we're investing in smart, innovative, efficient, well-run companies, they will increase in value over time. Historically, they always have, and that's what we're investing in. So that's the comment I wanted to make really quickly before we go to August. But then also, Peg, would you do me a favor? You mentioned rebalancing and dollar cost averaging. Would you explain both of those concepts in a little bit more detail for listeners that might not understand what you mean by that? Yeah, rebalancing. If I just said in a simple uh, portfolio, you had 50% bonds and 50% stocks. And now you have 45% stock and you have 55% bonds. Well, the allocation that you wanted to stay true with is the 50-50. So what that means is you have to sell or you have to purchase 5% of the stock or the growth side and take it away from the fixed income side. And that way you're buying low 
hopefully selling high one day. So that's very quick. Dollar cost averaging just means you have $100,000, but you're hesitant to put it in the stock market today. What we can do is then take, uh, to make for simplistic reasons, uh, $10,000 per month, and we can invest that then in the stock market. And every month, maybe in the middle of the month, they just continuously put the money in instead of trying to time what is the perfect month to put it in. So it's kind of a psychology, you know, psychological thing to get clients to invest because they still think, Bruce, that somehow, some way, I would be able to tell them that the very best day is this day of the month, you know, or I'm supposed to, or I'm supposed to call them when I think that it's the, the lowest point possible in 2023, which is just not going to happen. So it's a method of dollar cost averaging in and getting some maybe a little bit higher, some a little lower, but maybe the average will be uh, better than you anticipated just going in on one particular day. Yeah, dollar cost averaging is really what people do when they contribute to their 401k with, by having money withheld from every paycheck. They're putting money into the market, the same dollar amount over you know, a periodic time frame, and just do it consistently. And again, history tells us that long-term, investors are generally rewarded pretty well for following that strategy. Okay, we got about three, three uh, minutes before we got to go to break. Uh, let's move into August. What should be, people be thinking about in August? Yeah, August is actually getting ready to go back to school. <clears throat> so when you, if you have children or grandchildren that are getting ready to go back to school, a lot of times it's nice to look at what are the resources, because even parochial school, if you're in private school, if you're in college, it all costs money. So I've got a lot of clients that are asking me, what would be the best resource or, or investment to make to, to help? with college or um, high school. And so we, um, we endorse a 529 college savings plan and an education IRA. Both of them allow you to put contributions in. You don't get a tax deduction per se, but then they grow federally tax-free if you follow all the rules and uh, the deposits and the withdrawals. We are going to be doing a couple different um, shows here in one in July uh, upcoming on the 529 because I'm hearing a lot more about uh, grandparents wanting to fund 529s uh, and there's a lot of rules around it. How much can you gift? Can you forward gift money? What actually is qualifies um, to, to be used for a 529? And, uh, and then these Coverdale educational savings plans, I don't use them too often because we're limited to $2,000. Not that $2,000 is not a lot, but it, it really isn't when you're starting to um, save for college. And it's, it's just quite limited. So I tend to gravitate towards the 529 versus a Coverdale. Bruce? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned we're going to go into more detail on this topic in upcoming shows. Not that we, that we wouldn't take questions on it today. So if listeners have questions, uh, Danny will give you the number again before we go to break. We'll take questions. But we, Peg, the, the 529 has actually changed a lot. And I think it's important to do a whole show to talk about 
some of those changes because you know one of the negatives used to be if you ended up not using it for higher education, then you know to be detrimental, and it's really become more user friendly. So again, I uh, I, I think it's July 23rd. We're going to do an entire show on that. Um, so we're, we're through July. Um, education is kind of a biggie in August. And going into September, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's kind of recap what we did in the first half of the show. Then we'll cover September and any other thoughts we want to make sure we share with listeners. And then, Danny, in the second half, hopefully we can even get listeners involved with texts and or calls. Excellent. And the easiest way to do that, you can either call or text, as Bruce said, our uh, studio line during the show. I'll give you one for during the week as well. But this is uh, the one you want to call or text right now. 651-461-9226. You can always uh, send us your email questions, yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. And as we head to the break, let me give you this toll-free number. If you do think of something midweek, That is a toll-free number, and again, that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That number is 888-6-ADVICE. Again, 888-6-ADVICE. But during the show, like right now, and we'll come back after the break, but do call or text our studio line, 651-461-9226. Back with more of Your Money. If you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, you can call this number 247-888-6-ADVICE. You can also email those questions to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. But right now, you can call or text our studio line during the show, 651-461-9226. Again, 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, along with the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Danny Long. Thank you, listeners, for hanging in there. If you joined us late... Uh, Peg and I are talking about uh, the third quarter of 2023. The first half of the show, we talked about how the first half of the year, stocks and investments have actually done pretty well, not well enough to make up for the horrific year that we had in 2022. And by the way, just a real quick side note, Peg and Danny, part of what made 2022 so bad was not just the retraction in the stock market. That's not uncommon. That happens about... 22% 22% of the time, uh, or 20, or, I don't know, 20, 23, 24, something like that. It's not uncommon if you look at a history of stocks that there's years where there's aggression in the stock market. What is unusual is that the same year that stocks are down, bonds would be down, real estate's down, almost every asset class we look at was down. Usually, usually most of the time at least, stocks and bonds have a converse relationship or an inverse when stocks do well, bonds do poorly, or if bonds do well, stocks do poorly. 2022, they both did poorly. So 2022 was a tough year for investors. This year has been better. Now, going forward, we talked about July right now in the third quarter. It's a good time to look at your asset allocation, maybe to consider rebalancing, maybe to consider investing in the market if you're not comfortable putting a lot of money all at once. We talked about the strategy of putting money in gradually or dollar cost averaging. Then we shifted to August. August is a big month where we talk about getting ready to go back to school in the fall, whether it's kids going back to elementary, high school, uh, kids going off to college. And we talked about some of the things you can do, 529, educational savings accounts, things you can do to assist your kids with their education. And again, a plug for a future show, 
July 23rd, we're going to go into great detail on these plans because there's been a lot of changes, um, but that's something to look at in August. And Peg, we did not get to September in the first half of the show. Uh, September, and your thoughts about the first half or any uh, key takeaways you want to share with listeners? Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to add, Bruce, on the 529 and, you know, just put a plug in again for the July 23rd show is there's strategic things that uh, clients can do. So an example is recently I had some clients that um, their grandson is going into a very expensive school and they wanted to help out. Well, in this case, their their net worth is high enough whereby uh, the state of Minnesota, if they both passed away now and they're in their 80s, they would owe some money to the state of Minnesota. And so they wanted to do a gifting program to help with this uh, college. So they're going to contribute to a 529 Um, The gifting amount, and we'll go over this on July 23rd, but the gifting amount per person this year is $17,000. So I personally could give $17,000 to anyone, doesn't have to be a family member, um, without having to let the IRS know that I gifted money. There's no form to fill out. Well, if you contribute to a 529, you actually can do five years worth of gifting. So what this client decided to do was do just that, to put five years of the 17000 into a 529, and um, you can invest it in the 529. But the motivation here was twofold. One, to help the grandson with the college costs, and number two, um, to lower their estate dollar amount that you can die with, otherwise they would pay some additional tax. So. Those are the kinds of things that we'll talk about, real live examples and more definition on 529s on July 23rd. September, uh, pay down debt. You know, so here's here's very negative statistic right now. Household debt balances increased by $148 billion in quarter one of 2023. That's a 0.9 rise from 2024 quarter. But what's happening is, Uh, things are costing more. So what is a resource for people out there? It is to to use some of their credit card uh, um, ability, but they're they're actually not paying it off. So debt actually increased in most categories, like mortgage debt, home equity lines of credit, auto loans, student loans, and other just consumer loans like credit cards. So there's... um, there's that, that's bad in our, our minds, but I wanted to go over Bruce a little bit. We talked about this quite a bit is good debt, bad debt. So good debt would be where there's an asset backing. So when I said talked about a mortgage here and that's one place people are borrowing, it has an asset behind it, meaning that the that it's um, it's constructive, meaning it's it's got value. Another one would be a car, although depreciation depreciates a lot faster probably than a house and other good debt would be anything that's tied to something that would uh, maintain its value the bad debt is the credit cards um, well student loans you know supposedly if it would be good debt if indeed you are working towards a career or something like that you're investing in yourself 
the the bad debt is the one that hap, is actually getting higher and higher with credit cards right now. And I get it. I mean, I go to the grocery store and I cannot even believe what things are costing. Um, and I'm usually going there just for myself and my husband. I mean, it's not a you're not trying to feed a family. So, Bruce, I just wanted to uh, go through that good debt, bad debt. And September is focusing on paying down debt uh, best you can. And, and believe me, we've got compassion in how much things are costing more. And, um, and you're not necessarily making more money right now. And now people are starting to have to lean on resources like credit cards. Bruce? Yeah, that's a great point, Peg. And, you know, we talked in the first half of the show about the rise in, you know, inflation, and the, which led to a rise in interest rates. And that's always a two-edged sword, right? If you're a saver, and it's nice now to get your bank statement, and you're making, you know, 4 or 5% interest, and you actually see some significant interest on your bank account, where for years you got your statement and you made 12 cents last month or whatever. But on the flip side of that, or the other edge of the sword, is if you're a borrower, you're paying more interest now for mortgages, you're paying more interest on your credit cards and so forth. So number one, we really always encourage everybody to keep an eye on spending and not buy things that you can't afford to pay the balance when the invoice comes in. If you're already in that situation, September, if, you have, if you're still uh, carrying that debt, is a good time to look at resources to pay that down. And we, we've talked about this before, Peg, but it bears repeating. If you've got balance on more than one card, what a lot of people end up doing is they pay a little bit extra on each card and they end up spinning their wheels in the mud and they don't get anywhere, you have to pick the most onerous one, which is usually the highest interest rate, devote all your attention to that one. Pay as much extra on that one as you can till you pay the balance off, then go to the second worst one and take them on one at a time and just make minimum payments on the others. But you know, number one, hopefully you don't find yourself in that position, but if you do, I get it. I understand why it happened. You maybe didn't you know, become a worse spender all of a sudden, but the interest rates that you're paying on your debt went up. And so you, you have more, more debt just because the interest rate went up, not, not because you bought more stuff that you shouldn't have bought. But uh, again, it all comes back to, we said we'd repeat this, it always comes back to having a plan and sticking to your plan. And your plan shouldn't be to spend money that you don't have. Your plan should be to only buy things that you can afford to pay for. But again, I get that a lot of people end up finding themselves in that situation, sometimes through circumstances even beyond their control. So again, I'm not being insensitive. I'm just saying in a perfect world, you don't end up there. But if you are there, it's time to go after that, that stuff. And we kind of chose the month of September. Peg, what else? Well, the only other thing I wanted to add is, you know, my favorite adage is to hide money from yourself. So if there is a vehicle, well, like your work plan, where you, uh, put a, you know, are you already signed a form to put a percentage in your work plan, that's taken out before you even get your paycheck. That ability is still available out there, too, if you want to create a different savings account. Many employers will allow you to put several different hide money from yourself percentages and swing that money 
to an account um, before it would go into your checking account. I personally have to say, you know, decades of time ago, then I didn't feel like I had that um, that money to spend. And then the only last comment I make, and I know it's hard, but credit cards just the worst vehicle, you know, to give them 25, you know, percent or whatever they are today. So if you can um, either not utilize them and try to figure out a different way, at least if it's lower interest rate, or I often say on the show, um, if if there's someone you know that that actually has a lot of means, and um, I know we're personally making money on our money in money markets and treasuries today, but in a lot of cases, people don't mind doing an interfamily loan, and if it would help get debt, you know, down quicker, then that's always a possibility. Bruce. Um. I want to come back to that, and again, I always say this on the show, we have a general outline, but then we riff and we have, you know, we think about things. I didn't know you were going to say intra-family loan, but it's cool that you did. I want to to go back to that one. But the other thing, this idea of paying down debt, I really want to emphasize this, Peg, because I've had on many times in my career – Somebody sitting in my office that tells me that they want to make an investment. They want to uh, open an IRA or a Roth IRA or just a non-IRA account. They want to start investing. And I get to know them better, and I dig into their situation, and I discover they maybe have a big balance on a credit card or more than one credit card. And I look at the interest rate at which they're servicing debt. And if it's double figures, and it probably is today, I, I tell them, Benjamin Franklin taught us hundreds of years ago, a penny saved is a penny earned. If you pay down debt, that you're, if, if the interest rate on your credit card, let's pick a number, let's say it's 15%, if you pay that off or pay that down, that's like earning 15%. I'm good, but I don't know that I can make you 15% in an investment. So I don't want you to invest right now. Look, I'm a fiduciary. Peg, you're a fiduciary. I will tell people sometimes, don't invest right now in the market or with me or with anybody. The best investment you can make for yourself is to liquidate that bad debt. That's a better rate of return than we can get you on an investment probably. And I think people have a hard time grasping how how onerous and how damaging paying that high interest rate is on the stuff that they bought. So I really wanted to emphasize that. But also, um, I want to go back to your point. I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Peg. About the inner family? Yeah, the inner family loan. Yeah. So um, one of my clients, uh, it was about a year ago, uh, they had quite quite a bit of debt. And one of the family members had just come into some money. They inherited some money and actually had gone to my client and asked them questions about what to do with the money. And my client proposed to them, hey, I owe $10,000 on this, um, whatever it was. And it was a double-digit rate of return. And at that point, even a year ago, we weren't getting the rate of returns that we're getting on a money market today. But then they negotiated between each other, and the brother said, I, I know you're good for it. And then they made it, like, super short. So 
the um, client that I have, they decided, we, we actually think we can afford to pay this off in six months. And so it does work. Um, I know it's tough to talk about money within families. We know that, Bruce, firsthand. But, um, but in that case, it really did work. So don't, don't write off the fact that maybe you might have the avail- ability to do an interfamily loan um, instead of paying the credit card uh, companies. Yeah, and, and what happens is, just to give a little more clarity, um, I, again, I've, I've recommended that to a lot of people over the years. So, you know, you know a typical situation might be, in your case, I, I think you said it was siblings or related. Sometimes parents want to help adult children, but they don't want to just give them the money. They want them to be independent and stand on their own two feet. But they, but they have the, the resources that they could give money, but they don't want to. And I'll bring up the idea of a loan. And it's a win-win because... If the child can pay an interest rate that's lower than what they would pay the credit card company or the lender, whoever that is, but mom and dad can earn an interest rate higher than they're earning in a savings account or even a money market, it's a win-win. Mom and dad are earning more interest. The child is still technically standing on their own two feet and they're independent. It's a loan, but it's under more favorable terms and conditions for them. They're paying a lower interest rate, and it gives them some relief, some some cash flow relief that maybe makes the difference between being able to make it or not. So it can be a really good idea in the right situation. Uh, Peg, before we go to the text, any last thoughts that you want to make sure you get out there today for listeners? Well, the only other thing, too, is if you kind of Google and you look for spending and saving, a lot of times they put in the order of spend, save, borrow, and then plan. To me, I just want to make sure that the listeners know, no, 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 no. It is plan, spend, save, borrow. You know, so planning has to go in front of everything you do, everything you spend, everything you save, you know, um, have a plan, work the plan. That's my line. Absolutely. And and again, uh, I said we'd repeat it many times. We did, and we'll repeat it on future shows as well. It, it actually kind of, you know, again, it's one of those things I can't wrap my head around. I know that the majority of Americans actually don't plan, don't have a planner. They kind of wing it day by day, and I just don't understand. I know you're a planner, you know, about everything, not just financial stuff. And I just don't know how you, how you live life like that without having a plan, without having a roadmap, without having goals, without having a vision of where you want to be and when you want to be there. I know it's the majority of people, including maybe people listening to me right now, but I just don't get it. And I hope people will take action to make changes to that. Um, Denny, we have a little time. We can probably sneak in one or two questions, my friend. Yes, uh, this uh, is requesting a comment uh, from you and Peg. Uh, they're a couple that in their 80s, and they're very comfortable. Uh, but they say they want to help uh, my kids and grandkids. Do I really need to worry about that annual gift limit, which I think you said is 17000 uh, Can my wife and I both give to the daughters and their husbands? Seems the best way to avoid tax for them. Peg? Yes, yes. So each person can give $17,000 to another person. So in this case, the um, if you have two people, husband and wife, you can give two times 17000 to that daughter. 
You can give two times 17,000 to that son-in-law. You can give 17,000 times two to every grandchild, everybody, anybody and everybody you want to. Now, what that means is you're giving away part of your assets. The IRS only cares if you give more than 17,000 per person in one given year that you need to report that and it's a tax form. You report, hey, I gave more than the 17000 Doesn't mean that anybody has to pay tax, meaning if you gave the money to your children, they don't have to pay tax. I mean, especially if it's, if it's uh, cash. Some clients do give their children stock with a low basis. So a low basis just means they bought the stock for a dollar. Now it's worth $100. If you give that stock to your child, and they go sell it, they will have to pay the $99 uh, um, capital gain. So uh, the reason for all this is that you can only die with a certain amount of money. Now, right now, we could each die with $12 million plus on the federal each. And in Minnesota, it's still hovering around $3 million apiece. So that's another motivation of why people give away their money now. Um, in addition to the the need of the grandchild or the child, et cetera. Bruce? Yeah, and, and we'll close with this, with this. Most listeners, Peg and Denny, probably can't fathom the idea, okay, we're married and our child is married. Each of us can give 17000 to our child, and each of us can give 17000 to our son-in-law or daughter-in-law. That's $68,000 a year. Most people don't have the economic wherewithal to just gift away $68,000 a year, but, that, but that's what it could be. So it's a big number of how much you can gift without any tax consequences. And sometimes gifting is a good strategy, not just for the recipient of the gift, but for the giver. But as financial advisors, if the giver is our client, we always want to make sure they're not being too generous and they don't give too much so that they do something detrimental to their own lifestyle before they die. And, Denny, looking at my little uh, stopwatch, I'm guessing you want to kind of wrap things up. I do, and I'm looking at a comment, and maybe we have the last few seconds. <laughs> I hesitated in, in reading this, but I think maybe you can leave us with a smile anyway, if not a comment. The texter says this, The day I charge my own child interest is the day I start my journey to hell. <laughs> I just had to say that. All right. Again, we, we welcome your questions, your financial questions, as we've said, even midweek, if you think of something. Call toll-free 888-6-ADVICE. In the meantime, we hope you join us again next week with the more of your money. But if you have an email question, by all means, send them to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But keep in mind that toll-free number as we head out. 888-6-ADVICE. That's 888-6-ADVICE. And we do hope you join us again next week with another edition of Your Money.